Quiet down, quiet down, people. I know it's all very exciting, but I haven't even gotten to the best part yet. That's when the gigantic rhinoceros of Crete began to charge at the mighty Hercules, son of Zeus, Thunderer. Whoa! And, yes, and Hercules ripped an entire tree going all the way up into Olympus out of the ground and threw it like a spear, completely destroying the rhino and Crete. But isn't Crete still there? Uh, well, of course, because one of the 45 labors was Hercules rebuilding Crete. I don't, I don't remember hearing anything about this, though. Well, you wouldn't have, because... A witch cast a magical forgetfulness spell over everyone on the island. Okay, that yeah, that okay, makes sense. Okay, I guess I guess I can believe that. Yeah. Yes, witches. You know how it is. They're around. I guess we just shouldn't question these things. You I know, guess not. When it comes to the son of Zeus Thunderer, anything is possible. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my legendary co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a seer who is looking forward to the next time they get lunch. I've seen it in my future. Ooh, what are you having? I don't know. The gods are always so coy. I know. <laughs> so, I, so I you see kn- myself full and satisfied after eating the lunch, and I know <sighs> that I enjoy it, but I don't get to see what I eat. That's brutal. This is why they say prophecy is a blessing and a curse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm Jack Olander, a hallucination of Cerberus. I'm not Cerberus. Okay. But when you think, when you think, hey, is that Cerberus? That's me. (laughs) Yes. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) So last night when I was getting eaten by Cerberus in my dream, that was you eating me. Yeah. No, that's not Cerberus. Okay. But it was just your spectral form. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Only your soul. Is that worse? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Well, guys, we've got a lot to talk about with this week's movie, but before we do that, we would like to give a shout out to our newest patron. That's right. Our friend Alicia has just signed up for our Patreon, and we are very happy to have you on our journey with us. Yeah, thanks for joining the team. It's awesome. Yeah, welcome to the party. And just a reminder, if anyone else wants to help support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and check out all the different tiers, bonus content, and fun stuff you get for being a part of our team. That's right. You get to vote on movies we watch every month, and there are exclusive episodes like rewriting history and outtakes. What more could you want? 
But enough fun stuff. Let's get down to business, because this week we're going to be talking about Hercules. Not all those other versions of Hercules that we've already watched. A different one. That's right. Now, uh, Jack has reminded me that this is, I believe, the third Hercules movie we have covered. In the past, we've covered The Legend of Hercules 3D. I was about to be like, make sure you say 3D. In 2D. (laughs) Yeah. We did not watch it in 3D. No. We've watched Disney's Hercules, but this Hercules is a little bit different because this Hercules is actually The Rock. Can you smell what the Herc is cooking? <sighs> Finally, the Herc has come back to Thrace. <laughs> nice. Also, Ian McShane's in the film. Oh, yeah, he's great, too. Mm-hmm. He's always good. He plays the seer. I don't remember any of their names. I wrote them all down. But I don't remember who goes with which name. So the rock is Hercules. <laughs> oh, that that's obvious. That one's easy. Ian McShane is Amphiaris. Okay. Then there's Eolaus. There's Atalantia. Autolycus. <laughs> that's something else. <laughs> there's Autolycus. Okay. Maybe what you were thinking of. And Tidius. Atrocious. <laughs> there's King Cotus right. Ludacris No, Luda's not in this one Oh, too you're, bad You're thinking of the Fast and the Furious movies Right, they're, they are gods though Exactly, they're, they're, the characters in those films are in fact basically Greek gods And The Rock is in those movies Oh my god But that's not why we're here <laughs> Okay, we better, we better get on to this or we're going to be talking about Uh, the connections between the Fast and the Furious and Greek mythology all day. This movie was made in 2014. Yes. It was directed by somebody who I'm not going to give any signal boost to because fuck that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But we're talking about the movie. Oh, yeah. Because the rock's in it. And it's a fantasy film. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It is totally a fantasy film. Absolutely, 100%, with no question about it. This is as authentic of a fantasy film as I Kill Giants. Right. 100% just wild wish-fulfillment power fantasy. That's all it is. At least in the stories. But I know I have so much to say about this. Before we do all that, I think we should probably do a quick summary that Chelsea has got ready to go. Wow, that summary looks so good. Is that calligraphy? Did you illuminate the first few letters? Yeah, I spent hours on it. Wow, incredible. (laughs) Here we go. Almost as good as the theme song. Hercules, the man, the myth, the legend. Absolutely. Hercules, the legend is bigger than the man. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Hard to believe. See, here's the thing. Most legends are like verbal, so they don't really have size. But human beings have actual mass. I see. Well, it's a metaphor, you see. (laughs) Oh, okay. Right. I get it. So this movie, it's difficult to parse out what is myth, what is legend, and what is the truth. And those are some big themes 
in this film, a lot of Hercules's life and labors seem to be wrapped up in myth and legend, perpetuated by storytellers, chief uh, among whom is Iolaus, Hercules's nephew who travels with him. And so Hercules travels around with a band of faithful companions who he's collected along the way or saved or they've partnered up and they're kind of like a family and they are basically family. Yeah. Whoa. They're basically mercenaries traveling around. It's kind of like Conan and his group, you know? So what you're saying is that this version of Hercules is in fact the ancestor of Hobbes from the Fast and Furious movies. Probably. Played by The Rock. Makes sense. Okay. We'll put it in the timeline. It's a direct timeline. If we have learned anything from the film Just Visiting, it means that your ancestors look exactly like you. Precisely. So Hercules and his group are hired by Urgenia, the daughter of King Cotus of Thrace. Played by beloved swords and satire hero John Hurt. Yes. He's not a hero in this film, but... But he's our hero. Yes. So, uh, Urgenia hires Herc and crew. They need help to beat back what they say are invaders in their lands. And they need Hercules and his group to help defend them and help train their troops. So, they come in. They start training the troops. They have a skirmish with uh, horrifying snake monsters yes battle of the snake men wow the cgi on these snake monsters is so realistic they are like the most photo real creatures i've ever seen or it's body paint you know one or the other so that's part of rhesus's army that's the main guy they're fighting against and he's trying to take over thrace that's what they tell hercules and his friends so they finally meet up with Rhesus's main army and Rhesus himself at the battle with the centaurs. So oh, hold on. Now, um, at the end of the battle, would you say that Rhesus is in pieces? No, he's just in chains. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, Rhesus chains. <laughs> Does he at least get a peanut butter cup? I think he gets a face full of mud. No, that's not the... Not the same. Almost like chocolate. Almost like chocolate. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Old mud pie. So, yeah, Hercules and his friends have trained the Thracian army so well that they defeat Rhesus's men. That's true, but it really seems like the primary victory point is when Herc flips Rhesus's horse with one hand. Yeah. It's kind of like a snapmare takedown in wrestling, but instead it's on a horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a lot of myth and legend wrapped up in Hercules's 12 labors and how he's the son of Zeus and, Her- and Hera hates him and has tried to curse him. But it also seems like that's um, a lot of storytelling embellishment and he's had the help of his friends the whole time. What do you mean? But beyond that, he's... Still has superhuman strength. He is still kind of a superhero. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I watched him kick a cart into the air and then projectile kick it, like, into a group of dudes, like, kicking it, like, 20 feet. 
I don't think that is something that a normal human can do. That's my point. <laughs> yeah, he also frequently kills five people with a single blow. Yeah. It's not once. It's like many scenes of him just AoE striking people. Yeah, he's dynasty warrioring his way through Greece. So they get back, they bring Rhesus, they capture him and some of his generals as prisoners. They bring them back to the uh, capital of Thrace and they're having a party. The King Cotus throws a party. Oh, what a great guy. They have Rhesus chained up in the hall so people can laugh at him. Not a fan of that, but okay. <laughs> Teehee. <laughs> it turns out Hercules finds out from Argenia that Rhesus was actually a Thracian himself, and he was leading a revolt against the a corrupt King Cotus. Plot twist. Who poisoned his son-in-law and has been threatening Urgenia and her son, Arius, the whole time. And that's why she lied to Hercules, because she, uh, she was trying to protect her son. And so they all get captured when Hercules tries to double-cross Cotus. He's going to kill Urgenia, but then Hercules escapes and they help free all of their companions and take on King Cotus and the army they had previously trained. Now, we also have left out an important and very convoluted plot twist where King Eurystheus, the uh, king of Athens, where Herc is from, is also in on all this and has actually been planning to screw over Herc for quite some time. Yeah, he reveals that you know, Hercules has a tragic backstory in this version. Gotta have a tragic and backstory. He, uh, mm -hmm. King Eurystheus, uh, he reveals that it was his fault that Hercules' wife and children were killed all those years ago. And now he's Fucked here to up, finish man. the job. And he has very flim a very flimsy argument for why he does so. We can get into that later. Because I'm evil! Come on, Herc! That's... Basically all it is. I'm played by Joseph Fiennes, wouldn't you know? But so there's a skirmish. I gave you all the signs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My brother is fucking Voldemort. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I watched The Handmaid's Tale. I know he's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and let's just be clear. I'm sure Joseph Fiennes is a wonderful lad. Because he plays villains. Exactly. I like to think he's out there listening to this laughing maniacally right now. <laughs> so he does his job well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, let's just sum it up here. Hercules and his crew escape. They have to face off against King Cotus and the army that they had previously trained. They end up making a final stand at Hera's statue in the, like, city square. They're putting fire in between them and the army. Then Hercules, in a feat of strength, pushes over Hera's massive statue, killing a bunch of dudes and the king. Well, if Hera wasn't pissed at Heracles up to this point, she is going to be now. <laughs> yeah. And... Hercules kind of emerges from the smoke and rubble and the rest of the army that's still living is kind of like, 
Yeah, you're probably a demigod. I believe it. And they bow before him. Yeah, I'll buy it. And they chant his name and then they all kind of pose majestically there at the end. That pretty much covers it. It's time for the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Hercules with the Rock. Yes. Guys, there's a lot of big stuff in this movie. The first thing I want to talk about, though, is prophecy, fate, storytelling, all this important stuff. Myth and legend. It's all kind of wrapped up in there. That's right. So we've got this kind of interesting framing device slash narrative thing that Eolanus is doing where he's telling these stories about Herc's amazing feats. He's slain the lions. He's fought the Hydra. He's done all this stuff. Obviously, we're living in a mythological land where monsters are real, right? Centaurs are in this film, right? We've seen them with our own eyes. <laughs> Snake men. They're called demons, Jamie. Yeah, they're all real, like, if you're real far back. Like, yeah. they're there. Yeah. And if it's really dark, then, like, there are three-headed dogs yeah. and, and hydras. The, and they're definitely not men wearing, like, alligator heads for helmets. Or just yeah. three black wolves in a dark alleyway. That's right. Yeah, or men riding horses. <clears throat> no. Or, uh, or other men with painting on their skin. <laughs> All right. So if you haven't watched the movie recently, what we're getting at is some of the ideas in this movie are that Herc's labors may have been embellishments. Maybe the Hydra was actually a bunch of dudes in snake hats and he killed the Hydra. The Hydra stopped uh, harassing the people of Athens, but the Hydra is actually just a bunch of dudes. Maybe. Maybe some of the stuff he did is real. May um, obviously Herc did heroic things. He seemed to do things that helped the people, but they might not have been the exact truth that Eolanus said that they were. Eolanus is who I'm actually talking about, not the other silly thing I was saying because I totally know the names of these characters. Right. So. He is doing a lot of work in the background telling these stories about Hercules so that he is kind of this larger-than-life figure that people can look to as a symbol of, like, the gods' influence and, like, that they might have divine favor if he's helping them. And it's important to their work as mercenaries that people see him in that light. Yeah. In a lot of ways... Eolaus is the real hero here. <laughs> he certainly seems to think so. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of showmanship and... Subterfuge, sleight of hand. Yeah. Ledger domain. Involved in their work. Prestidigitation. But, <laughs> mm -hmm. but also, like, they have to be careful about their appearances. And Eolaus does a lot of work to connect everything they do to the help of the gods or Hercules's strength as a demigod. There's something going on there though, actually, 
Because Hercules is stronger than a very strong man would be. <laughs> he is stronger than even a man like The Rock could possibly be. Yes. The feats he does, like pushing over this humongous statue of Hera. Um, like throwing dudes across fields into other guys. Like the way his strength is shown definitely makes it seem like there's more than meets the eye with him. It's just that all of his labors are actually the work of a whole team. It's true. We see in a few of the cutscenes, like the animations during the credits pretty much exclusively, the scenes where his team is helping him accomplish these heroic feats that he's claimed to have done. Yeah. yeah. In the intro moments of the movie, in the opening shots of the movie, we see Herc doing it all alone. At the end of the movie, we see animated versions of the same actions, but with his friends there. Yeah. And actually, when Hercules is going to face off against, like, the largest warrior that the Snake Men bring up and they're going to have a challenge, Iolaus tells a bit of the myth and he says to the their, to troops on their side, like, Hercules is... Hands are are dangerous to mere mortals. His fists were dipped in the blood of the fucking something or other. Titans, I'm sure. Yeah. The venom of the Hydra. Thank there you. we go. The venom of the Hydra. So they're... Ven Hydra's a titan. Yeah. They mean death to mere mortals. And Hercules has actually hidden an arrow in his fist. And so when he meets, he challenges this huge man from the snake army, he punches him in the head, but is actually punching the arrow through his skull. Now, we don't know that he didn't dip his fists in the blood of the Hydra, though, because that arrow should have punctured his palm. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's indestructible because he's wearing the hide of the Nemean lion. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, and the indestructible armor made of the boar. Of something. <laughs> and we see later that he actually... Brasinia or something. ...was injured in that battle, and Iolaus is trying to help him cover it up because it would destroy the legend if people saw that he could be injured by mortal weapons. Right. But there's some stuff going on, too, where we've got the, um, the seer, Amphiaris, played by Ian McShane, who does seem to be able to predict some signs. He, he's able to uh, see certain things that are going to happen, but he doesn't necessarily get the full story. He makes predictions that do come true. Yeah, except like at the end, there's kind of this running gag where he's predicting his own death, but Herc keeps stopping it from happening. And he stops the final real death from happening, too. And Ian McShane plays it off so well, he's actually upset. <laughs> he's like, excuse me, that was my time. <laughs> like, how dare you take my death away from me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. They have good chemistry. I really wanted to see more yeah, of did. Ian and The Rock working off of each other. It's it was true. great. That scene, and when he says, you took my death from me, that was my time. That's when Dwayne The Rock Johnson starts singing You're Welcome from the Disney film <laughs> Moana. Oh, man, that would be actually pretty perfect. Yeah. yeah. He did say You're Welcome. You're he right. Did. He did. So what you're saying is we've got an entire rock cinematic universe we've got to form here. Yes. Maui is a demigod. Good point. And is he demi or just full god? Demi. Okay. 
And what's interesting about all of this is that the timeline of this film was set in 358 BC. And this is a time when myth and legend holds sway in people's perceptions about the world. Yeah, not like today. (laughs) They still do, but uh, it was the prevalent way of understanding the world at that time. And it basically affects the perception of everyone about their world. Like, people are willing to believe that uh, creatures like the Nimian lion and the Hydra exist. Yeah. And that they are there to be fought against. Right. Um, You take for granted that centaurs are in the hills. People see the men that have paintings of snakes on their skin and they call them demons. Tattoos? Only (laughs) demons could have those. (laughs) Because they believe that that would be a part of their world. They see men riding horses in silhouettes, and they're always making sure that they're silhouetted to create fear in the heart of their enemies. So scouts that see them describe them as centaurs, and they believe that to be real. So it's interesting because these are all creatures from the Greek myth and legend, And so people kind of incorporated them into their daily lives. So it's interesting they included that in the film. Yeah, I like that part about it. Mm -hmm. But also monsters are real. It's true. The way they frame the myths becoming like practical things from history is it'll show the monster and then it'll show like the illusion fading away as the camera pans to a different angle and you see like, oh, that's what it really is? What the heck? (laughs) Jamie pointed it out so good when the centaurs were riding up in the silhouette and their arms are like puffed out to the sides like they're these big brawny horse people and as the camera's panning so you see it's just a person on a horse, the people on it like lower their arms into a more natural human and like shrink down yeah Yeah, exactly like they're clearly (laughs) puffing themselves up it was a funny transition yeah it was really good you'll enjoy that when you watch it so this is an interesting part of the movie but it creates for me a little bit of i'm gonna say narrative tension and i'm gonna walk you guys through why i say that because i have complicated feelings about this another element of the movie that Herc really emphasizes, or or a theme that Herc really emphasizes, is working together, cooperation, teamwork. This is really personified best in the shield wall scenes, where Herc is teaching the Thracian soldiers to create a shield wall, which is supposed to be incredibly strong because you have a group of soldiers all braced together defending each other with a row of shields that, as Herc says, like, if you're doing it right, it should be impenetrable because the people on either side of you are propping you up and you're propping them up and it makes a steel-like mesh of people. Flesh and muscle and leather and metal. Yeah. It's awesome. He says they become like links in a chain. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that element of the movie as something to emphasize that working together is actually what makes people strong. Yeah. And it's all about family too. Exactly. Because um, Hercules's team is really more like a family. They're like fictive kin. Yeah. They're like a fighting unit that (laughs) watches out for each other. 
I know, I said unit. Unit. <laughs> but so in the stories that Elias tells, it's only emphasizing Hercules. The rest of them might not as well even be there in the stories. But without those friends and family, Herc would have never accomplished these things. Now, here's the thing. I think that it is consistent with historical perspective, certainly with modern perspectives, that emphasizing one leader, the big man version of history, as it's called, makes sense. But I think that it creates a narrative tension in the film that feels a little bit like, I'm not sure, help me work through this. Is it consistent because that is kind of how modern audiences would see like, oh yeah, it makes sense to emphasize this one guy, even though a bunch of people were working together. Or would it be better to tell a story where you emphasize just the teamwork and cooperation and say, no, no, Hercules was great because he brought people together and everybody worked together for a common good. So the first thing that came to my mind, which is interesting about what you said is there are records of Hercules being a figure in Celtic mythology. Ah, interesting. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. It's true. interesting. He is depicted quite differently, however. Very small, uh, scrawny guy who accomplished nothing in his life. Part of what you said (laughs) is correct. And I'm not saying that small people can't. I'm saying as a counterpoint to Hercules, it's a bit, everybody. I'm doing a bit. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. But this Celtic version of Hercules has the hide of the Nemean lion. Okay. And is depicted as elderly. Cool. Interesting. He's smaller because he's old. Yeah. He's bald. I I like him even more. Yes. And they, they depict him as super strength not being his power, but the power to rally people, like you were just saying. And that's displayed by showing golden threads coming out of his mouth and going into the ears of the soldiers around him. So cool. Oh, wow. Which is, so he's, he's supernaturally bard. persuasive. You're right. He's a yeah, bard. That's oh. awesome. So, so Hercules in the Celtic legend is more like Iolaus. Yeah. College of battle bard. Yeah. So we could have a Celtic Hercules myth. Nice. Why, why haven't people done that? Huh? <laughs> well, do you, I was going to say, do you think this movie is kind of building on that idea? Uh, it probably doesn't even know about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it sort of is. I mean, the idea that they play around with in this movie, the queen mentions it to Hercules in a scene, is the people of the city have been going through it, right? They've become faithless. She said yeah. she has also become faithless. They need something to believe in. And that's why Heracles is the big man. And that's why it's so important that he is like this symbol for people because they see his strength and abilities and his protection as a sign that the gods are in their favor or paying attention to them. Yeah. And it gives them hope. I I think that is consistent. I wish that people took more inspiration from stories of groups of people working together towards common goals than this idea that one person is, you know, the most important figure in any movement. I think, again, I believe it is consistent culturally, but I would like to rewrite some of the cultural myths. Yeah, I get that for sure. It's very 
it's a very ancient way of looking at the world, like you were saying, just the one person. And also a modern way of looking at the world. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm thinking of like old empires where one person takes over, builds up an empire that's never supposed to outlive themselves, and then when they die, it falls apart and everyone is fucked. <laughs> that would never happen today. Mm. Well, it's a common theme in old Greek storytelling. And... I'd like to talk a bit more about that. I fact. would love to hear it. Great. Yeah. I just finished listening to an audiobook version of the Iliad by Homer. Nice. Oh, Homer Simpson, my favorite cartoon character. Yes. A member of the conglomerate that is known as Homer. Because <laughs> <laughs> we are all Homer. Yes. Well, it's theorized that Homer in history was likely a number of storytellers that all came together and wrote down the stories under this pseudonym. Given a single identity to make them seem like one person rather than a collective. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Curious. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But this movie did a lot of stuff that was very reminiscent of the Iliad in the way it storytells which I thought was cool. We see a lot of just random, nameless side characters dying tragically on the battlefield, <laughs> which I thought was really significant because in all of the Greek myths I've read or listened to, everyone who dies gets a name or everyone who dies on screen gets right. a name, a bit of their backstory, what their life was like, and then a metaphor to describe how tragic their death was. <laughs> and if this movie really wanted to be Greek, it would have extended those same courtesies to the horses in the film. Luckily, only one horse gets flipped in this film. Oh, God. We don't know that the horse dies either. I would have loved a 300-style slow motion scene when the horse is getting flipped, where it zooms in on the horse and you see the horse's backstory of it being like fed apples as a mare or whatever, as like a pony. <laughs> oh, yeah. maybe that was in the extended cut that we didn't watch. It's true. And then it being given a name and then it as like a young stallion being like trained by its trainer. Listen, all yeah. I'm saying is that if we got a backstory for everyone who died in this movie, this movie would be 5,000 hours long. And that's about how long Greek myths are. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's great. Also, Ian McShane's character. Um, Amphiaris. Anus Ichicus. Uh, <laughs> Ariolus. Uh, Spiticus. Uh, <laughs> Ianus Maximus. Yes. His character's a seer, like yes. we've been talking about. Every good army... He's got the shining. Yes, he does. Every good army in Greece has an old wise man to be an advisor, or a group of old wise men to be your advisors. Oh, a group of old wise men, you say? Yes, you can have more than one, like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> I choose you, Eolaus. Yes, Eolaus. That's great. <clears throat> yeah, the one in the Iliad is Nestor, and the one that Hercules has is Amphiaris. And Amphiaris is a seer. Like we said, he does something that's really interesting. He says that the lion and the crow will cross the battlefield of dead soldiers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really significant because animals are often the way that old men and seers in Greek myths interpret 
the omens of the gods. Right. Different animals were beloved by different gods, and you could read the blessing of certain gods in the appearance of an animal at an auspicious moment. Exactly. Zeus's animal was an eagle, right? For example. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times in myths, you'll see Zeus carrying off a snake or a dove or another bird or something, or an eagle missing their catch to be a bad omen, something like that. Oh, yeah. Right? And so this movie calls Heracles Hercules, which is the Roman name. And in Roman mythology, after Hercules' death, he ascends to godhood. Yes. He becomes the god of strength. And his symbol is the lion, unsurprisingly. Makes sense. In this, he has the Lemian, the Lemian Nyan. <laughs> yes. The Lemian Nyan, classic yes. uh, mythological monster. The pelt. And when they give shields to the whole military that Hercules is training, it has the lion face on it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the Thracian army, I think, has the blackbird. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it has the crow skull on it. Yeah. I just thought that was really accurate also. So I just like the way they give like credit to the random nameless NPCs deaths and show them as somewhat significant. And then they also have the animals representing the favorability and denotation nationality of the gods and stuff like that. Yeah, and it, it's historically accurate uh, to have a particular animal associated with a king or an army. Yeah. As well. And they showed a patron god of a city, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Yes. Having Hera as a patron god is real questionable, but, you know, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, she is the goddess of cunning, spite, and trickery for the most part. She's a bit of a trickster. I thought she was also the goddess of marriage. She is, but I think this city <laughs> The ultimate embodies, form of trickery. <laughs> I think this city embodies cunning and trickery a lot more than Mary. That's yeah. True. I think Codus has got big Hera energy. Yeah, that's true. That's a that should have been a sign right there for Hercules and crew. Yeah. He's supposed to be cursed by that goddess, but she killed Curtis in the end. <laughs> Codus. Codus. Curtis. Fucking Curtis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be his Celtic name. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Great points about Greek storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. That helps explain this homage to that style and why there's a focus on specific heroes doing things. It's true. And the last thing I'll say on that is the King of Athens. It shows when Hercules is coming back to deliver the Hydra heads to him. While they're walking and talking, it's showing a shot of several peacocks kept in cages. Yes. Right. Peacocks are the animals of Hera, who is said to have cursed Hercules. So that's probably a bad omen in that shot for what's to come. And he kills Hercules' family. Yeah. Trigger warning. <laughs> uh, Jack's post-trigger trigger warnings. And it's wolves that kill his family, too. Yeah. So I will tell you guys, there's another sign that Hercules should have read that would have told him that Codus was probably not such a great guy. But it's one that a lot of people miss. And I call this sign class struggle. I knew it. Oh, shit. I knew it. I knew it instantly. (laughs) 
So as Hercules is first coming into Thrace with his team, his coterie, we see shots of this militarized walled city with troops and soldiers all over the place and starving citizens. I'm not going to say begging for food, but clearly like shown in hunger and destitution and squalor. Now, I believe that we're supposed to see that Herc maybe is thinking, oh, this must be because this town is being besieged by Rhesus and his uh, renegade team, right? His renegade soldiers. Well, I think that's the assumption, and Cotus and Argenia don't alleviate him of that right. assumption. But we actually find out that what's going on is a war between Cotus, who is trying to create a military dictatorship, and Rhesus, who is actually leading a team of rebels against Cotus's rule. Yeah, they're the Thracian people that are revolting against a tyrannical overlord. Exactly. So when Rhesus has a moment to talk to Hercules after he is captured, he says, you have made slaves of all the people of Thrace by supporting King Cotus. And then Hercules is able to look at everything with a new perspective. Right. It's when Hercules' eyes are open to this class struggle that is going on all around him. You're right. That he finally sees clearly, and he understands that the proper path he needs to take is that of supporting the masses, not of the ruler sitting atop all the people, but of all the people who need much more help and support against tyrannical kings. Yeah, he's basically like, it doesn't pay. <laughs> I mean, it but does pay, but... it's He says that he would never be free of his past trauma and the ghosts that haunt him if he doesn't help the Thracian people overthrow this mad king. Yeah. So in a way, Herc kind of becomes a socialist icon. Yeah. He it's, trains, you know, militia-style armies to fight against tyrannical rulers. Farmers. Yeah. He works in tandem with people and creates camaraderie and affinity amongst the populace and the people. He becomes concerned for the strife of the common people. And that's why I think Herc is a real hero, because he has his eyes opened once he sees class and understands who's on top, and what they're doing against the people who are the most vulnerable. That also fits with the theme from the two other Hercules movies we watched, where being a hero involves self-sacrifice. Precisely. Yeah, and he sacrifices a lot against those wolves. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gets bit up real good. I'm pretty sure one of them tears out his um, Achilles tendon. Yes, it's literally the wolves that killed his family, too. The same wolves. Well, he uh, he gets revenge. Yes. I'll say that much. I don't think they would actually live that long, but it's okay. I mean, we don't know how long it's been. We do, because... We know how long it's been. <laughs> he assembled that entire team after his family had been killed and he was going around doing the labors, or like finishing his labors and one of the members of the team is an adult and they say they found him as a child. Fair so point. it's at least been eight to 10 years 
and the wolves were already there when he left. They would have been dead by then. Oh, uh, they're whatever. old. Cool. Yeah, they're but old. But we don't dead. know how long mythical monster wolves live. Right. It's so. true. It's true. Because they were perceived as Cerberus in the film, who is a herald, uh, you know, a symbol of the underworld. Yeah. Death. Oh, Hades. Uh, who gets a real bad rap, but he doesn't come up in this movie, so nah. we'll save that for another episode. Maybe we'll cover the video game. Hades. I hope so. So Urgenia wants to take over with her son Arius, who would be the heir. She says he'd be a better king than Codus, which is a pretty low bar. Yeah, but it's like Hercules has basically taken over Thrace and helped lead a revolt against the king and has swayed the army to hit following him by the end of the movie. So... What's going to, is he going to take over Thrace? Like, I mean, here's the thing though. Arius looks up to Hercules. Hercules really likes Arius. He gives him the tooth of the Nemean lion. And um, then he uses that later on to fight off the wolves when he gets it back from Arius when Codus's troops are trying, are, are apprehending Arius. Mm-hmm. It's true. So they bonded is, is what I'm getting at. It's like, you know, Herc can be the symbol and maybe rule for a while. But Herc really says he's not that interested in being like a king. So maybe he can instill some of the um, values in Arius and be a, a guiding light in his life. Maybe they can disband the monarchy and create a uh, council. Yeah. Hey. Herc is from Athens. Perfect. That's Just right. saying. Democracy is where he's from. Yes. Well, they still have a kingdom. But democracy <laughs> is in Athens' future. But he killed the king of Athens. He did. Yeah. Maybe that's when Athens becomes a democracy. Could be. I don't remember the timeline. <laughs> well, another thing is uh, we were talking about Hercules doesn't want to become a king. Hercules says to the king of Athens, all I ever wanted to be was a husband and a father. And he's sort of playing a father figure for Anus. <laughs> so what you're saying is that Herc is kind of a reverse Simba? Simba. He doesn't want to be king. He just can't wait to be free. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of what we want to talk about for this movie. Why don't we head to the smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 bone whips? Nice. Nice. <clears throat> yes, I do. So my epic moment is when Urgenia and Hercules and his crew have all been captured by King Cotus. And they're in like the dungeons that are like kind of cave-like below his palace. And okay, it's just the actress's performance as Urgenia when they're bringing She's her great. out to execute her. Yeah, that was really good. Oh, oh yeah. That was like... She's chewing so much scenery, but it 
brings you in. It doesn't like take you out of it. It like pulls you deeper in. No joke. Uh, and really makes you feel it's like the most genuine part of the whole movie. It's true. And um, yeah, they're pulling her out and she's just child childishly kind of like, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and struggling. And then just the way she's screaming and yelling at her father and calling him a bastard, telling him to stay away from her son. And the amount of raw emotion she's putting into this performance just made me like hot all over my body. I felt uncomfortable, but like I couldn't look away. Yeah. And it was just very evocative. So I wanted to call that out. And, and real quick, I, I won't take too much time, but I just want to say I don't know if we gave Urgenia enough credit. Rebecca Ferguson portrayed this character really well. We didn't talk much about her, but. There's a scene where she's also like a doctor and yeah. she's working the medic tent. She's a princess and a doctor. I love it. Yeah, she's pretty great. Very cool. You could see that when Hercules finds this out about her, he like respects her even more. Yeah, I, I dig that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's a pretty cool character and the actress played her very well. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give this movie... Eight out of ten bone whips. Nice. Give it the old bone whip. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know if it deserves that number. This is a completely subjective rating system. But I'm going to give it that number because it's very fun. And this has nothing to do with the problematic director, right? No, like, we are not acknowledging that person. No. This has to do with the performance all the actors put into it and the work that all of the crew and, you know, production designers and everything put into this. The costumes are all very well done, very oh, yeah. authentic. Cool. I love Ian McShane's robes and his uh, labyrinth pendant. That's really cool. Yeah. Everything looks so interesting and all, every scene, I'm like trying to take in everything I can because they put so much detail into the costumes and sets. And everybody just brings their A game for the acting, even as they're riding chariots with ridiculous blades on the side of them. They are giving <laughs> it their all. Yep. And yeah. it makes it so much fun. It's just a delight to watch. So that's why it gets that rating from me. I can't uh, I can't argue with any of that. Yeah. Respectable. All right, Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us your rating from one to ten bone whips? Yes, I would. My epic moment and or feature is probably best highlight by the fight against the snake people, demon people, humans. Right? Nice. The totally demon snake people, men. Yes. And... The part of that that I like is that they show the historical way that the Greeks fought, right? The hoplite phalanx. They are in a square formation where the shield wall is facing four directions, can't be surrounded, can't be flanked, even though they're the phalanx. <laughs> right? I thought that was cool that they showed the way historical warriors fight. And the fantastical characters, which are the main cast, 
look like a D&D party. Yeah. They've got their archer. They've got a knife thrower. They've got a barbarian, yeah. real Conan type. They've got an old man. They've got... Yeah, the seer. Yeah, the yeah. seer. They've got a bard telling their tales. Every D&D party's got an old man. It's true. They've I, got the leader. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just thought it was so funny how there's like the best method of military tactic, the hoplite phalanx. And then you just have like the crazy ragtag group of heroes that's just like way out front, no shield amongst them. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, I have throwing, I have throwing knives. Really? There's a military charging at you. You want to use throwing knives? Yeah, I'm really good with the throwing knife. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. And then there's a barbarian with two axes. It's like, all right, I'm in it. I just think it's so funny. Like the fantasy element of like, I'm just a god. <laughs> I'm just, you guys use a shield? That's pretty cowardly. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's morale boosting for the troops, too. That's also part of it. That's the lore. That's part of the lore. Yeah. It's just seeing the way they can just shred while having no cooperative maneuvers. It's, it's just fun. It's just fun. I would think that's a demigod. If I saw a guy just run out Hercules and fight a military without a shield, I'd yeah. be like, all right, he's living more than a few seconds. He's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I think that's pretty epic. It was epic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to have to say this movie was very fun. I wish it was more overtly mythological. Fair. Yeah. That was I, my problem. With I get that. Yeah. The Troy movie, which we will watch one day. <laughs> Don't make promises we can't keep. Which we will maybe watch one day. But, you know, it took a really interesting approach to putting a more practical spin on the myth. And uh, it was very fun. I love The Rock. All the characters acted greatly. And uh, for all those reasons, I'm going to give this movie a 7 out of 10. Nice. I think it was very fun. It was very cool. I enjoyed watching it. This is the third time I've seen it. So, you know, that means I think it's worth watching. Yeah. Really, the only things I would change are... I want it to be overtly mythological. <laughs> and there were a Fair. few moments of pacing. But aside from that, it was hype. I liked it a lot. Yeah. It's a fair review. What about you, Jamie? What is your epic moment and or feature and rating out of 10 bone whips? Well, Jack, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to just say that my epic feature of this movie is Ian McShane. Oh, shit. God, I love Ian McShane. Yeah. I wanted, I could have watched, uh, you know, way more of him and The Rock palling around, doing prophecy gags, about, I'm going to die. And then the Herc is like, oh, I'm going to stop you from dying every time that you yeah. die. <laughs> He's got a spear that's got like uh, uh that fans out into like a, a like weird bladed thing he's got the chariot with the swords that extend out yeah. it is ridiculous in the most fun way and it seems like ian's really just having a great time being there having a good old time with everyone doing fun prophecies and i like the prophecy stuff i really yeah. like the character the portrayal as the wise seer who's also the seasoned warrior who, you know, gets by through slyness and just knowing tactics and just being better, even though he's a little bit older. 
No? I dig it. Yeah. It, he he did such a good job with that. He's a real Odysseus type. He is a real Odysseus Older, type. Older but yes. stronger. Yes, yeah. exactly. Just like a fine wine. Yes. Or so I'm told. As far as the rating goes, I am going to give this movie a 7.5. Seven and a half bone whips. Nice. It's really fun. It's got a uh, interesting story that I think does more than people would probably expect from just a sword and sandal movie. It's a little more complex. I love The Rock. I've always loved The Rock. So anything that he's in, I'm going to be into. It loses some points for not being an overt mythological story, but it's still a fantastical story. Yes. And I think that they rush some of the ideas. They try to put a little too many things in and it just gets a little muddied. That's okay. They tried to do a lot in the time they had. And overall, I'd say it is a success. And I had a really good time with it. So seven and a half bone whips. Great. That's fair. I think we gave it a good rating. Yeah. That's what it deserves because that's what we gave it. (laughs) But that'll pretty much do it for us here at Swords and Satire. We hope you had a good time listening. If you're not already, maybe consider following us on social media at Swords and Satire on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you do, you'll be able to keep up with what we're up to, find out what movies we're going to be covering soon, and check out some memes that I think are pretty funny. They're great. I don't know about that. I get a kick at them. People seem to like the D&D stuff. They make me lol. (laughs) (laughs) And if you've... Checked out our social media, swung by our Patreon, but you don't have uh, any other way to support the podcast. Why not go out and spread tall tales of how good our rhetoric and critique are? (laughs) Go all across the land. And lo, did the satirists analyze that film completely and so thoroughly that, yea, none across the land could contest their points. It's true. And because you are telling the truth, you never have to defend your lies. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's solid logic as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Sounds good to me. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. We do. We We, do. We love being able to talk about movies and fantasy TV shows for you. So we're glad that you are enjoying it. And until next time, Hail Hail Crom! Crom. (laughs) 